This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. The following episode of Tofop is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. Tofop advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax. This is Topop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Addison. Hello and thank you for watching. Wow, that off-air banter really gave me some great <laughs> confidence about how hilarious this podcast will be. Uh, I can sense even, you know, we've only chatted for a couple of minutes before we hit record and I can sense there's a general fatigue uh, settling into the podcast from, from both ends. You're back in Melbourne. Uh, I'm still on the Northern Rivers. Uh, would I be right in suggesting you're feeling a bit tired? Uh, I am a little bit tired. It's fair to say I am tired of life. No, I am <laughs> <laughs> tired of this mundane existence that we have now signed ourselves up for. No, it's been in- really interesting because like doing shows at the Comedy Festival has in some ways been the most amazing thing because for me – you know, without wanting to overstate it. Like, it's the first thing that goes in my diary every year. 2020 would have been 25 years in a row. Like, without having this, yeah, regular structure in my life being the way that it's always been, that it's – it wasn't until I came to do it that I fully was aware of how much that I missed it. But that said, Mm -hmm. it is also still COVID times. There are people staying away because of COVID and – you know, yeah, there are people in masks in the show and my existence is literally I go to the show, I come back to this hotel room, I lock myself in the hotel room all day so that I don't catch COVID. I go out, I go for like a walk, I go back, I lock myself in the hotel room. So I've now officially been locked in a hotel room for long enough that my existence, I do feel like like a lab rat or like a... You look like... One of those, like, you know, um, when like the refugee advocates will do an interview with someone who's been detained, like that's what it looks like. I mean, you've got this camera set up in your room. It's like, it's just that blank wall in the background and for all intents and purposes, like, you know, you could be saying to me, Charlie, get me out of the comedy festival. Yeah, I'm, I'm in prison. Could you please get a march together to release me from, could you get Merlin to go on the celebrity big brothers reunion and have free the comedians because free to comedian free to comedians <laughs> it's i was saying this to uh, cameron james who is the guest on fofop this week but this year in a way funnily enough because obviously if, if you get covered or you're covered exposed you miss a week of shows so most comedians are not drinking they're not going out they're staying inside their voices are great. Like you're seeing them, their absolute best. Like it, it's, yeah. there's probably never actually been a better time to come and see comedians because everybody is just like sitting around all day in their hotel rooms. And then like you get that hour outside, your you exercise time where you can go and tell some jokes for an hour and then go back to your little gray prison. Yeah, it's funny. We um, went and saw uh, Dave Graney. He was playing some gigs up here about a month ago, I think, up at uh, one of the pubs up here. And so Gem and I went along um, with uh, Adam Zwa, who's been on Fofop a couple of times, and his wife. And they are friendly with Dave. 
And uh, so after the gig, Dave and his partner, Claire, came out to say hello, but they came out like in triple masked, like gloves on. They stood about like two metres from this, you know, and, you know, it was like, it was so awkward because we're like, oh, you know, oh, I'd never met them before. It was like, you know, thanks for the gig. It was really great. I had a really good time. And they're just like, mm-hmm, like two mummies just standing there. Like, <laughs> and they only wanted to sort of be out there for a couple of minutes because it's like, there's just too many general public around here and it's the Northern Rivers. We can't, we can't be out here for too long. We've got more gigs to play. Right. Well, that's once you have that on the line, like I'm now yeah. in the window that if I got a COVID strike of any kind, the rest of my festival's done. So yeah, right. it, it it does raise the stakes. You should get one of those Zorbs, you know, like Boy in the Bubble. Like get one of those Zorbs you get from New Zealand and just roll it from your hotel to the show. Like, I mean, that way people are definitely going to be two metres from you. Mate, I'd be happy to like do the show in a Zorb. <laughs> if that Zorb technology is available, then I'm happy to like, I'll, I'll get in my Zorb, go for a bit of a roll around the yeah, city, you know, up. like that ball of wool did in that... I'm just like, you know yeah. what? You had a cotton wool ball doing it. You put it in ads all over yeah. the world. I can roll around in my Zorb. So I go down the street. I get a coffee. Stick in some Zorb. flyers to the outside of your Zorb. So they're just like flying off. Is it all Oh, yeah. The it's like promotion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I'm just going for a walk and doing some promo in my Zorb. Like, obviously, I have to leave a bit of a gap between the posters so I can see up my yeah. Zorb to get yeah. around. But then, yeah, I do a little roll around town in my Zorb, maybe go down to the gardens or something down by the Yarra. I could even float in my Zorb, couldn't I? Like I imagine my Zorb, I could just like go up the Yarra if there's too yeah, much. too much action. Too much traffic on the footpath. <laughs> yeah. So I just like pop my I think the, <laughs> onto the Yarra. I don't know if anyone's rolled a Zorb uphill. I don't know if that is physically possible, but, you know, I mean, you should give it a shot. At least, why not? It'd be great publicity for the show. Like have you seen Will Anderson's show? Will Anderson, he's the guy who's been rolling around Melbourne the last three weeks in an inflatable yeah. ball. Yeah. That one. The the Zorb yeah. guy. It's a bit late in my career to make a pivot, but I think I could be the Zorb guy. <laughs> you know, I really like him now that he's in his Zorb. He just feels comfortable in his Zorb. Yeah. Well, you would be, and you wouldn't worry about hecklers, would you? There's no worries about no. like Will Smith taking offense to any of your jokes. The, the ultimate defense. <laughs> like that. I'll be hosting the Oscars <laughs> next year because I'm the only comedian that can be fully protected. He only performs in a Zorb. It would be fairly undignified, though, that he slaps your Zorb and you just roll off stage into the orchestra pit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He comes up, gives me the full whack, and my Zorb hasn't been anchored properly. I haven't put out my little Zorb anchor. And I just roll, like, really slowly into the orchestra pit. It's just, like, nothing I can do about it. And you just get stuck in the tuba. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I uh, I went to Blues Fest on uh, Friday. Yeah, how was that? Well, that was weird. I it was I honestly felt strange being in that many because it was fairly well attended. I actually was expecting. I mean, Blues Fest is a fairly relaxed festival as it is. Like it's not like a you know splendor or whatever. It's just like crammed. Like generally, it's family friendly and you can move around. And so, for people who don't know what you're talking about, we're talking about the Byron Bay Blues Festival, Byron Bay Blues which Festival. is. A blues and roots, like, but not just really blues and roots music. Like, I mean, there is they've widened the 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 the, the categories a fair bit. I would say there's like hip hop there. There's like a whole bunch of kind yeah. of artists. But it is a much more family friendly pitched festival than those sort of big rock and pop festivals. And famously, the festival where the Counting Crows came one year and refused to play Mr. Jones, <laughs> <laughs> which people still talk about to this day. I had a few people mention like it's like it's it's the one, most memorable gig for the wrong reasons that ever played blues fest yeah well this is the story of blues fest blues fest has been cancelled the last two years 
in the week that it was going to happen. So it's an independently produced festival, one of the few in Australia. And literally they had built the festival site both years, like outlaid so many of the costs, advertising and all those sort of things, only for it to be cancelled at the very last moment. So the fact that it is Last year they cancelled off the off the back of one positive COVID mm. case. Right, which turned out to not turn into many more than that. No. Adorable <laughs> which, when you think about it, if it wasn't the, for the fact that so many people lost thousands, if not millions of dollars. I mean, it was an absolute tragedy for the community and yet still only second and third behind the Counting Crows not playing Mr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it was actually pretty well attended. And I think obviously people just so desperate for something like there was uh, a whole mix, young people who I wouldn't expect to see at Blues Fest there, like, you know, and like kids, teenage boys and girls just desperate to get nude, like just shirtless guys. It was fairly chilly on Friday night, like 16 degrees, but the dudes were still shirtless and the girls are still running around in their bra tops. It's like, oh, you were determined to have a festival experience regardless, whatever the lineup was going to be, whatever the weather conditions were going to be. It's like you got your pasties, you're ready just to go and have a festival experience, which, by the way, have you noticed, and this is going to make us sound old for the millionth time on the show, but the 90s are so back, like in terms of fashion. Like there are young people like in their late teens, early 20s, who I swear to God, I'm like having flashbacks. It's like you look like the guys I went to uni with. Like there were... There was a girl the other day who looked like she was out of the matrix, like the way she had her hair braided and the little glasses and she was wearing a mesh top. It was like the most 90s goth, like industrial techno look I've ever seen. It's like, it's back, baby. I mean, does that mean we're hip again? Because that was our era, the 90s? Well, I was just thinking that and I was kind of thinking in my timeline, is there a chance that I could be like recaptured as sort of like a, a 90s icon, like, you know, ironically <laughs> recaptured by the next generation. And yeah, like a David Hasselhoff kind of thing. Or a, I think, or, I'm, or, unfortunately, I'm more early 2000s because I started Triple right. J in 2000 and then like Glasshouse yeah. comes after that. So if there's ever going to be some sort of like Will Anderson – you and some 41 get on the same bill. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely going to be early 2000s. So I've got to wait for the early 2000s to become cool again. But yes, our fashion and our taste in things is very much back. Yeah, it's very much back. And so, because uh, the, the lineup this year for Blues obviously is 100% or I'm pretty sure 100% Australian. Obviously, mm -hmm. they, they just didn't want to take the risk of, of booking international gigs. So um Friday night was like... And, and we say 100% Australian, and we mean that because Crowded House played, and they are 100% Australian, <laughs> as we've always said in Australia. We've always said. Um, but Friday night uh, was like my teens all over again because the two uh, headline acts were Hoodoo Gurus and Midnight Oil. Yeah. And um, I think we've done many episodes on the Hoodoo Gurus. Like, we both love But how the were they? Gurus. Like, how did they play? Fantastic. Like really, really good. A, a friend of mine is knows them and she said afterwards that they were a bit like deflated. They didn't think they'd had a very good gig. They weren't happy with the sound mix and stuff. But I thought they sounded they sounded great. Like they are just they've just got so many hits. Like that's mm. the thing about the Hoodoo Gurus. But seeing them now too, like the last time I saw them was when when you did that, you did was it you did a benefit for was yeah, the Bondi Pavilion it was or the something? Bondi Pavilion uh, benefit in the Hoodoo Gurus play. Yeah, they did a very casual kind of like, you know, five songs. This is, but this was a proper like one-hour show. And I was with our mate VK and we are both saying like, if you closed your eyes, like they are just the most like, you know, the biggest party band and they just sound like so rock and roll and they're so great. But then you open your eyes and you look at them and it's just like, <laughs> like a bunch of accountants. Like especially Dave. 
Like Vaughn kept saying, I didn't realize Flacco played rock and roll. <laughs> like, yeah, he's got a real Flacco vibe about him. Like they sound so rock. And and then we were sort of like going, I said, but what genre do they fit in? Are they kind of like surf rock? Are they psychedelic rock? Because they sort of like, they sort of drift in and out of all these different genres. But they were playing some new music and the difference between the old tracks like the songs you knew and then the the new tracks was like very stark like there was just something i mean it wasn't just the the familiarity that it just sounded different like it didn't have that kind of hoodoo gurus energy it felt like maybe a band you know doing a version of the hoodoo gurus but they were still great if i'd seen them in isolation i would have been like well that was an amazing gig and you know what a you know what an icon but then they were followed by midnight oil who I haven't seen – I saw them at the the, uh, the fire benefit in 2008 and I was like, well, thank God that no one will ever have to raise money for natural disasters in Australia. <laughs> yeah, once in a lifetime. We solved it. <laughs> Climate change is solved. Uh, and then prior to that, I remember seeing them on the – it was probably the Blue Sky Mine Tour in like 91, 92 when I was like 13. Um, my brother got me tickets to see them. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Midnight Oil, this is I, – I, I wanted to see them more as a legacy – kind of piece than like any kind of mm. but holy fuck honestly that was one of the best like performances i have ever seen of any band anytime anywhere like they were incredible like it was a two-hour show and every element from like the, the band sounded amazing peter garrett's voice still sounds incredible like just the range and the power in it but the actual way the show was designed and the lighting and the and the graphics it was just like the, the what it, I could compare it to was um, the only time I've ever seen Radiohead. And I remember uh, it was probably like 2012, 2013 when I saw Radiohead. And it was a really, it wasn't just about the music. Like you were just in this experience where it's like an, like an art show in, in some cases, like just the, the, the lighting changes and the way they would drift in and out of songs. And it, it just had this kind of intensity to it. Like, and Peter Garrett too. Like we, you sort of forget, like it became such a cliche after a while to make fun of Peter Garrett, you know, the way he dances and all that kind of stuff. But then you actually see it and you're like, this is incredible. Like you cannot take your eyes off him. He's just so magnetic and you just don't know what he's going to do next. Or you sort of do know what he's going to do next, but you just can't believe that he's doing it. And the whole thing, like uh, to, that, that whole crowd, like festival gigs can be so hard because you've got people spilling in from other you know, they're there to see other bands, whatever. They're not there just to see Midnight Oil. But they had everyone and they were eating out of the palm of their hand. And even Jem, who sort of, you know, she was aware of Midnight Oil but didn't grow up here, so she didn't have that kind of parochial. But she was like, that was the one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. And she's like, they're so hardcore. And it's like, yeah, man. Like at some stages, it was like a punk show. Like he was just fucking angry and out there and just riling the crowd up. And everyone was just like, I think there was a lot of pent up kind of like aggression just from, you know, two years of not being able to go for festivals plus all the fuck, fucking shit that everyone's been through in the last few years. And it was just great. It was just this real release. But I tell you what, Will, no, can, if you want a funny- Can I just, before you go yeah. into your funny thing. So yeah. um, I saw Midnight about three years ago, whenever that last tour they did before this one was. and 2018, I think yeah, it was. So I yeah. saw them at the uh, Sydney Meyer Music Bowl in Melbourne and they were- um, 
incredible. I've been very lucky to see them a lot over my lifetime. And from before I was even involved in the music industry in any way, like even through radio or anything, I they just used to tour Canberra a lot when I was at university. So I saw them a bunch when they were like right. they would do their big show, but they'd, they'd then go at, play at like the ANU Uni Bar and stuff like that. So it was like they were one of the real formative bands of like when I was getting into music. But the thing that I've always found incredible about them, and I think that Cold Chisel are a bit like this. They're not exactly the same, but they're very smart bands that have this mass appeal to people who don't necessarily engage just with how smart they are. Like. And that yeah. that is the great appeal. Like you can just love Midnight Oil, or you could just love Cold Chisel for the music without thinking too much about what the stories are about and what the meaning behind it is about and those sort of things. In fact, yeah, they're one of those hilarious bands like Rage Against the Machine where occasionally somebody's like, well, why are you making it so political? And you're like, well, because the 30 years of them making music has all been absolutely political. What did you think Blue Sky Mine was about, dude? Like, you know, this has literally been all they've ever done. But because the actual performance is that of a traditional well not traditional but like it looks like rock a rock band. and roll show and a rock and roll band and you have a charismatic front person who is as charismatic as you know mick jagger or somebody like that in the yeah. way that he controls the stage then you forget that they are an overtly political band despite the fact that they wear the fact that they're an overtly political band very proudly yeah it's funny like i was thinking about that you know watching him dance on stage and you know it's such a distinct you know, the way he moves and stalks the stage. And and I was like, how many lead singers are there that are so unique that you can impersonate them just physically? Like, yeah, you're right, Mick Jagger. You can do that sort of duck walk that Mick Jagger does. Maybe you could do like a Liam Gallagher if you just put your arms behind your back and, you know, or, or Lemmy, you put the microphone up there. But there's only one Peter Garrett. Like as soon as someone starts doing that off-timing click, you know, at the front and the side, like, you know, it's just, it's Peter Garrett. And yes, that thing about the political, I, I was annoying the people I was with because every five minutes I was, I'd turn around and go, look, I love the songs, but when do they get so political? And people were like, okay. <laughs> After like the fifth or sixth time, people were like, we get it, Charlie. That's, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's very funny. We get the joke. But I did wonder if there were people in the crowd who, like you say, were like, yeah, they're just here for the for – because the, the, the rock element of it was so good and the – you know, they would do these kind of, and those, it was so melodic as well. Like that, they're such great musicians that it's really heavy music, but you could hear every part of it. And the we were standing right next to the mixing desk, and I was looking at the engineer, and he was about you know seventy, and I reckon this guy must have must be their permanent you know sound engineer because he knew the band so well that it was just calibrated perfectly, where you could hear every individual instrument, but also it was balanced in a way that. You got this wall of sound washing over you that was just, it's hard to describe it. There's just those gigs you go to where you just like, after even the opening, which was like a fairly low key, moody opening where they sung one of their new songs, We Resist. And it was just them in silhouette and stuff. But by the end of it, you were like, fuck yeah, let's tear down the system. Man. Like it's just, <laughs> they had that rage against the machine kind of element where yeah. they, you know, for, even if you weren't listening to the lyrics, it's just something about it makes, like fire, fires you up and gets you really like angry. And it was beautiful at one point because believe it or not, Will, Peter Garrett had some things to say about the state of the world and the oh, state of he? politics. <laughs> how, does, how, how does he think we're going? Oh, not good. What, what was- <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he reduced ScoMo to he shall not be named. Uh, like he actually said that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grant him the dignity of, of even using his name. But um, at one point, 
Like is there any chance he was talking about Voldemort? Yeah, and you just misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, well, the podcast Mark could tell us he was he was going on and on and on about he shall not be named. But he um he did this great little uh, he he tricked the audience because he was getting them more and more fired up by this laundry list of you know things mm. that um you know the current government has fucked up and you know the way they've been awarding um welfare and stuff and you know favoring certain seats to other seats and he's been doing this and that and then. He started going on about cognitive bias and he's like, that's when you, you know, just accept information. So you've got climate scientists, you know, saying this and this is the data and this is a fact. It's, you know, incontrovertible. But then you've got people with cognitive bias who are just refusing to do that and giving money to mining companies. And the crowd's like, fuck yeah, yeah, fuck Skoma, fuck me. And he's gone, it's just like the anti-vaxxers and Mullen Bimby. No, and then you yeah. just see the audience go, yes. wait, fuck, no, that's us, shit. Yes. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was so good. It was so good the way he got it in there. And then you sort of had like, you sort of fist up, then the fist sort of came down again. And then it's like, oh no, what do we do? He's making a good point, but he's also making a point about us. I mean, but he's got you by then. That's what I love yeah. is he's like, yeah, you've cheered already about the last thing. Yeah. You've gone early. You could have hold your applause yeah. until the end. Uh, so uh, it was, it was awesome. Um, the one misstep was, uh, he started doing, you know, he does great banter, Peter Garrett. And by the way, has anyone ever thought of, has there been like a Pixar movie set in a supermarket or something that's all about the secret life of vegetables? Mm. And there's a rock band called, I don't know, Midnight Olive Oil, and the lead singer is mm. Peter Garrett. Oh, great. Good stuff. This is all good stuff. <laughs> has that been done? Because if it hasn't, Let's do that. Let's do an animated kids film. And there's a band called Midnight Olive Oil. And the lead singer is Peter Carrot. And he's just a really tall, bald carrot who's always like <laughs> complaining about the state of the supermarket and that the fruit get too much while the vegetables are left with the scraps. Now, there is a, um, I'm looking here, I, I Googled Peter Carrot. And uh, the first thing that's come up is Peter Carrot Top. So <laughs> we might have two new characters. <laughs> A combination of Peter Garrett, Peter Rabbit, and Carrot Top. Um, but apparently, a Carrot Top, Peter Carrot Top. Uh, there is a book of uh, there is a series of books called Peter Carrot, the beginning, the first book okay. in the Peter Carrot tales, um, and it doesn't seem to have anything to do with Midnight Olive Oil. No, Midnight Olive Oil. <laughs> so do you reckon we can copyright that? Um, I'm going to Google Midnight Olive Oil and see what comes <laughs> up. And I think if we get away with this one, we might be right. Um, no, there's uh, – yep, no, we're fine. I think we're fine. We can, we can definitely do that. All right, awesome. <laughs> Midnight Olive Oil with their lead singer, Peter Carrot. Uh, so the one misstep mm. that Peter Carrot made um, with his banter – was he started talking about, oh, you know, so we're, you know, we're back on the road now and this is our, our farewell tour. Oh, and by the way, I wasn't aware of this. So they're, they're wrapping up. This is the last mm-hmm. uh, tour that they're going on. Not, I'm pretty sure they, they mean it. I don't think it's like a John Farnham kind of thing. So if you have the chance to see them, I'm definitely going to go see them again. I'd like to see them in a, a smaller dedicated venue, I think, because I think it'd be even better. But run, go see this band. Even if you don't think you are into Midnight Oil, you'll be into this because it's just such a great show. Um, but as he was doing his banter about, you know, so, you know, we're back on the road and stuff, he started going on about like the Gold Coast and I'm like, where is this going? It's like, yeah, you know, normally, uh, they put us up in a hotel in town, but, um, we couldn't get there. So they, 
put us up into the, the Gold Coast and he's like, you know, the, the Gold Coast is just overrated. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking? It sounds like Will Anderson here. He's like, like yeah, that is the Gold Coast. That is definitely sweet. my material, Peter Garrett. You be very careful about what you're yeah. doing. Like the person who talks about the Gold Coast <laughs> being shit is me. <laughs> Yeah. So he's going on about like just listing yeah. like uh, Gold Coast um, localities that are just underwhelming. And he's like, you know, so it's just like uh, the movie world and he's gone. And you know, what's the most underrated is Dreamworld. And then they go into Dreamworld. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it and I'm like, oh, you know who's really good at that kind of shit is Will. Like you're really good at just kind of like, you know, wordplay and that kind of yeah. stuff. So I've got their set list here. All right. So let's just pretend you're, you're Peter oh, Garrett. So I have to do a little preamble to introduce the song. Yeah, I'm going okay. to give you the song. Okay, great. So you've got a little earpiece uh-huh. in. So you're on stage in front of everyone uh-huh. and, you've, and you've forgotten the order yep. of the set list. So I'm just going to feed you okay. the names of the songs. and you've, But you've got to do it as one continuous conversation okay, okay. Yeah, sure, let's sure, pretend sure, sure. that the song yep you, you throw to a song after you you finish a little preamble yeah but then we'll just go into the start no i understand so the, okay. the skill with this right. you can't you, you can't break you can't break stride okay so just start your, your general banter all right uh welcome everybody to the uh this we're women not all welcome to the byron bay blues festival it is so nice to be here in, in such an important time for this country we re- we resist if your first song is We Resist. Uh, the next uh, five weeks are going to be filled with manipulation and lies coming from politicians, coming from the media. But there is only one way forward for this country. We have to do it together. This is We Resist. Anyway, okay. Okay, so go into your next next bit of banter. Thank you. Thank you. That was We Resist, and I hope that you will resist all the temptations thrown in your direction. The Over next the song next. is the Barker is the Barker Darling River. The Barker Darling River. Uh, obviously, <laughs> don't, don't say that to the Sorry. microphone. <laughs> the audience is like, "What's he? Is he talking to a guy on his earpiece?" <laughs> Uh, we will be having to look after so many parts of this beautiful country we need to get together the uluru statement with the original owners of this this country and remember this country was stolen and never ceded um uh i've forgotten the name of the river (laughs) the barker darling river barker darling river so we're gonna have to look after every part of this country from Uluru to the Great Barrier Reef that's being bleached by climate change to the Barkadala River. Okay, no, uh, next song is Nobody's Child. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you very much. That was the Nakabala River. <laughs> Nakabala, Barkadala. It's so <laughs> Markadala. No, not Markadala, Barkadala. Abort, abort. <laughs> The next song is nobody, nobody, Nobody's Child. We, we believe in a world where billionaires should not own half of the world's wealth and nobody's child should live in poverty. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, uh, Dream World, we know how that one goes. Okay, the next song is Stand in Line. I would like to say everybody out there <laughs> that they did not know there was going to be as many people at the festival today. <laughs> Some of the toilets and the amenities are being overwhelmed. But if you are there, please make sure you stand in line. <laughs> Oh, that is the worst one yet. That's literally just an OHS statement from the lead singer of a rock and roll band, a protest <laughs> band, no less. He got a message going, look, the, 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 the bar lines are really long. If you could just say something, Peter, to really calm people down. You know what? They actually were. They were tremendously long and far down. Okay, the next one is Now or Neverland. 
Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> this is now or never land. <laughs> the rest of the band is just staring at you. Well, <laughs> Okay, well, what about I uh, don't want to be the one? <laughs> uh, we we realise that the odds are tonight that one in five people are going to get COVID and we're a five-piece band, so one of us is going to get COVID and I don't want to be the one. <laughs> All right, next song is My Country. Um, uh, oh, no. uh, okay. Um we're an Australian band. We've always been an Australian band. This is not your country. This is not my country. But this is my country. Yeah. Ah, nice. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, US forces. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk about floods in this area recently, but obviously what you need right now is government submarines that are being supplied by the US forces. And <laughs> Kosciuszko. Um, here's a list of my favorite mountains, Everest, <laughs> Kosciuszko, this is Kosciuszko. <laughs> All right, let's skip a couple. How about Dead Heart, the Dead Heart? Um, uh, the Dead Heart. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, no, not as easy as it looks. Now, all of a sudden, like, bagging out the Gold Coast. I'm understanding why. Oh, no, here we go. Did that old clumsy uh, intro about the Gold Coast. Uh, A great Australian left us recently. He was the greatest cricketer this country has ever produced. He wore the number 23 on his back. There were crowds that stood and awed at what he did. This is for Shane Warne. This is the dead heart. I think that's a little insensitive, isn't it? Like... (laughs) Like, I mean, if the song was the greatest or something, but to actually just do a song about like the failing organ that killed well, one of I our mean, greatest it's technically cricketers. True. <laughs> um, okay, how about King of the Mountain? Um, this one's dedicated to Peter Brock. No, <laughs> <laughs> Topical. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Blue Sky Mine. Um, uh, this one's dedicated to the billionaires who oh, think yeah, that yeah. they don't need to solve the problems here on Earth and they need to blast off into space to look for new planets to live on. Blue sky, mine. Ah, yeah. Well done. You guys are the best. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you see? So um, interesting, uh, as an interesting thread went out on Twitter this week about uh, Elon Musk and his attempts to buy Twitter. And it was a, written by a guy who used to run Reddit. Did you read that thread? So just can I just th- say this before yeah. we get to the thread? So I, I yeah. may even have evidence of this that might be in one of my improv shows, or my, but definitely in my show notes when I was trying to write more logical, I had this bit all about billionaires going to space. It didn't end up making the show. But one of the bits, and maybe we even had like half of this conversation on a TOEFOP, which was about... If I was a billionaire, I would never go on Twitter. But in the jokes that I'd written about it, I'd be like, actually, if I was a billionaire, I would buy Twitter and I would then like, you know, use it to fuck with Twitter. And then like three months later, that's what, like, I'm so glad that wasn't my material because it would have been ruined by Elon Musk <laughs> doing that exact same thing. What's well, strange, isn't it? Like, what what is, the, well, and this thread is really interesting because this thread is all about like, 
Uh, so Elon Musk's motivation apparently is like he feels like, you know, Twitter is not democratic enough. It's not recognizing enough voices. So this guy who started Reddit, um, he said, look, you know, this is, here's my experiences of trying to set up some kind of dem de democratized social media forum where everyone can come express their views. He's gone, it just doesn't work because every group feels like they are being censored. Every group feels like they're being silenced. And also the moderation of online content is virtually impossible. Like it, you, there are just not enough people and not enough eyeballs to stay across stuff. So yeah, like you might be on the right and you're like, well, this leftist, you know, called for my murder and how come they got away with it? Well, that just, just, just slipped through the, that just got slipped through. But also a white supremacist also called for someone to get murdered as well. Like it is an imperfect, <laughs> it is an imperfect system. But my question is, what does Elon Musk have to complain about? Is he not does he feel his voice is not being heard? Does he feel like he's not getting enough publicity? Well, one of the jokes that I had in this thing that I wrote was like, you know, they should have to do, they shouldn't be able to go on the free apps. Like if you want the public to know your opinion when you're a billionaire, you should have to do what people traditionally did and buy a newspaper, you know, buy a media company. Mm. That's what billionaires normally yep. do to get it out there. So I guess that is actually just the equivalent of what he's doing. He's doing something that has been done by billionaires throughout the ages, which is we need to control the media because if we control the media, we control the narrative around the fact that like Elon Musk owns a disproportionate amount of wealth. Like that is the, like regardless of any you know, good that he brings to the world, there is no way that the world benefits from somebody disproportionately having that much wealth. And the best way for him to control that conversation is to control the conversation. Yeah. But every time, like, couldn't he just start his own, like to start Musk, Musk, Musk chat or something like that, where people can just go <laughs> like for billionaires. I mean, that well, sounds they gross. Musk <laughs> it does sound disgusting. But there's like dating agencies for wealthy people. Yeah. Like, you know, like. like oh, so you're talking like a. Are we talking like sugar, sugar daddy, daddy arrangements? Yeah. But like, so rich people can. So rich people can go on and converse about being super wealthy and super wealthy first world problems without being shamed by the wider public. Because that's what it feels like he's rebelling against. You know, yeah, he wants to protect his business interests and stuff. But I also think there's an element of him which is like, I don't like the fact that people call me like a scumbag and that, you know, I'm just, I'm wasting my money when I could be donating to better cause. I want to hang out with other people who are also like me, who just like spending their money on kind of like things that make them happy. Nobody's like you. You have more than everybody else in the world. There is nobody else like you. You can't like have a peer. Like, I mean, Elon Musk is now even disproportionately wealthy compared to Jeff Bezos. Like there are Elon Musk problems that Bezos doesn't face. Like they can't even have a chat backstage <laughs> about like what it's like to be disproportionately wealthy. So, but you shouldn't need, it's sad to me that like, I mean, this is a reflection that why we shouldn't be giving these people all this fucking money because mm. they're, they're not geniuses. They're not, you know, these absolute, I mean, they can have moments of genius but they are not yeah. so more disproportionately talented than the next person that they should have so much more than the next person. Yeah. Well, especially too when a lot of it's inherited wealth as well. Like if it had been Elon down the mines or whatever, his family got their money, whatever shady shit in South Africa that they were doing to, to amass their fortune. Like even if his grandfather had been the one, but I, I doubt his grandfather was the one actually pulling the diamonds from the stone. Like it's very no, it wasn't. It's it's very yeah. We had the one ethical South African yeah. diamond mine. 
I mean, it, it does feel like that is where the disconnect happened. And it's also to this American thing as well of like they, they, they had this kind of hero worship where it's like, you know, they, Australians, we love tearing down a hero. Like, you know, we're, we're suspicious of people who elevate themselves above others. Where in America, it's a culture that kind of like celebrates, you know, the rags riches story and anyone can become president and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, when that wealth is just becomes a, uh, it's a, a, uh, evidence of your skill or evidence of your, or, or your work ethic or whatever, when, so often it is just a case of it's evidence that you were born. <laughs> you were born with the right surname. Right. And the fact that, like, I think in Australia there is more of a connection between, like, if you got wealthy or successful for doing something is more admired than, like, you know, that idea in America where if you're just rich, people all almost are like, how you got to be rich is really very much a secondary question. Like, the, the cool thing is yeah. that you're rich. Yeah. Yeah. You met a lot of those people, like, I don't know how many you met when you're in LA, but I met a lot of like producers and they were just like guys and girls who had come from money and were now just in LA with money. Like they'd been given a bank account and a credit card and told to, you know, do what they want with it. So they're out trying to make things. And so they're, you know, throwing parties so they can meet celebrities and studio people so they can just put their money into something and feel like they're, they're part of something, but they're not actually talented <laughs> they don't they have the ability to fund talent and to uh, attract talent but they don't necessarily have the talent themselves but that is kind of like a career path for super wealthy like in australia we don't really have enough of an industry for super wealthy people to kind of like take that risk like it's very hard to raise private finance for music festivals film production all that kind of stuff in australia whereas in america there is a lot of that independent financing because people just want to meet Julia Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a... And, and people don't have the... It's a, it's, it's a legitimate like, business But strategy. people aren't willing to get their checkbook out for Aiden Nicodemo? No, I would I, I would have thought so. that... Really? I would have thought there'd be like at least some... I mean, maybe not to the scale of a Julia Roberts, right? But I imagine that like there'd be some independently wealthy people would just be like, you know, I grew up watching Ada on TV and I'd like to hang out with yeah, Ada. Do an Ada, an Ada. Yeah, I'd like to hang out with Ada, so I'm going to put together an Ada project. Uh, um, yeah, you know what? There, there, probably, there probably is. I know when Gemma was attached to a project a couple of years ago in America, like an independent film, and when she got the script, she was like, ah, oh, you know, it's okay. It needs some work maybe with like if we do another couple passes and – and the manager who bought the script said, oh, the, the one caveat is the girl who wrote this script, she has to be in it. And Jem was like, okay, fine. Well, what's her experience? It's like, well, she hasn't really done anything. And Jem's like, well, this is a really, like, you know, this requires like a, a really skilled actor. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty big part. Um, you know, maybe we can look at like creating like a, a, a supporting role or something that's sort of more suited to her level of experience. And then the more that they got through the development, the more that like, Jem started to realize that this girl actually hadn't done anything and possibly hadn't even written this script, but her husband was very, very wealthy and had wanted to give her a film. But it was amazing because they did like, they literally had a million dollars to dangle in front of, they were trying to get like, you know, a big name actor to get into this to, and that would get the ball rolling. Um, but just that they, 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 as much as Jem tried to get them to, rewrite the script and change it they wouldn't do it they kept sort of insisting that it had to stay a certain way and um it was all based around the fact that this this woman this was her project that was being funded 
by her partner. And it was like, Jem left it, left it, and we sort of vaguely have tracked it. And it keeps there's keeps being announcements. They keep getting directors attached, and then a star, and then it just falls over because everyone is running to the same problem, which is like, we can't put this person in this film, <laughs> like even for a million dollars, like even for a million dollars, we can't we we can't do it. We're not gonna uh, we're either not gonna be able to attract professional talent to work with you, mm. or uh, it's just people sort of just see the red flag, which is like, well, if this is what you're asking now. Like you're already putting restrictions on now. When we actually start rolling the cameras, what other demands are going to start? You know, and, and agents that's, and managers, that's their job is to keep their clients separated from that kind of quagmire. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? That sort of super well. So what does that mean for Elon Musk? I think Elon Musk just, he's at the point where he's so wealthy that he's like, if I want to buy Twitter, I should just buy Twitter. And I think that there's some business, obviously, opportunities for him in buying Twitter. Like, there's no real downside to him buying Twitter because he can control narratives. He can use it to continue to manipulate the stock market like he tends to do and all these sort of things. So I imagine for him, like, yeah, and there's probably an opportunity for him to, like, rebrand it a little bit more in a free free speech sense, it seems to be what he would like to do. I, like, I've... I've... It annoys me. I use Twitter a lot. I'd say that's my social um, uh, uh, that's my social media du jour. That's the one I enjoy the most, the one that I check the most. And it's so kind of like cliche for people to come on and go like, I fucking hate this website and it's a fucking dumpster fire and blah, 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 blah. But they're always fucking on it. They're always on it to tell you how much they fucking hate it. And it's like, I accept the fact, I understand it's annoying and it's distracting and social media is ruining our brains. But it's kind of like, I know that if I have a few beers, that's not the best thing for me. If I have a lot of beers, that's even worse for me. So I have accepted the fact that I'm going to do this thing that is not great for my health, but there's, it, 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 it improves my life in other ways. It gives me a, a point of distraction. It enables me to promote our podcast, all this kind of stuff. But this idea that somehow it needs to be changed, I just think it is what it is. It is a fucking dumpster fire, but it's also this great tool. You know, that's how people in the floods have been updating on where to fucking send help and, and, and reaching out because there certainly hasn't been any fucking coordinated response. Well, what you what you say is the thing that about Twitter more than anything, and this is the thing that nobody can actually handle about it, which is your experience is entirely of your own curation. Yes. So if you're following a whole bunch of like terrible accounts, then that's your fault. Like it literally is a website where you go on and choose people resources to follow. There is a whole bunch of different ways that you can follow and engage with them. And your experience is entirely of your own making. Like yeah. the, the easiest, Twitter doesn't need to change everything. You just need to unfollow a few people and follow a few more, like get your balance of your account out better. Like, I mean, for example, during political times, I'll follow a lot more journalists than I would ordinarily. But as soon as, you know, the election's over. I'll unfollow a whole bunch of those journalists again because I just don't need to see on a daily basis like the updates of those things that I just don't need to engage in. Yeah. There's one comedian that I followed and then after a while I was like, oh, I'm going to unfollow because I just was getting weary of the text. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I'll follow again. And then I, I realised after a day I made a mistake, so I unfollowed and then I got blocked. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously they were watching me jump 
back and forth. And like, fuck this guy. He's either a fan or he's not. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, fuck it. I'll just, I won't. I'll, I'll just stay offline. This thing, there's certain aspects of their work that I like, <laughs> but there's other aspects that I don't need in my in my feed all the time. So it's probably it's probably better for all of us. Oh well, I it was like Dave Hughes. Um... It was trying to cull his Instagram, the people he followed on Instagram, and he rang me up on the radio to, like, basically did this thing where he sent out, like, an Instagram direct message to people, and then if people didn't respond, he, like, got them on the radio to say, I'm going to drop you from my Instagram <laughs> things. And I was like, mate, drop me. Absolutely drop me. I don't want my friends to be following me on my, my social media because my social media is mostly work-related. Yeah, work yeah. So, like, you don't need to see me promoting my shows. You don't need me to see me promoting other people's shows or anything like that. That is not for you. Have you created, have you started any friendships on social media that have bled into the real world where it's like, you know, you, someone starts following you, you start following them, you like each other's posts, you start communicating and like a, there's like a online friendship and, and, and then has it become a real world friendship? Uh, I mean, I think that's hard for me to say external to the media world in which we live. So like there's so right. many comedians or other people in the media or whatever, yeah. like philosophy guests that I've yeah, made connections with solely online originally. And then, yeah, that's become a podcast and then a friendship. But um, I don't know if there's been independently of that many that I could identify. Mate, you know, you know what? There's a few that like where social media has been pretty like, I mean, you know, someone like Craig Coombs, for example, if it hadn't been for social media, like we wouldn't have the opportunity to have the bond and friendship that we have. Like a lot of that has been conducted through. Yeah. I mean, you know, we text each other now, but we still communicate a fair amount of the time through social media. Yeah. There's been, there's a couple, there's, there's, there's a, a few people lately who have been, who I only know through social media, through their social media accounts. And then we've been messaging and stuff. And, and one of them was like, Hey man, well, next time you're in town, hit me up and we'll grab a bite to eat or something to drink. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Like I've enjoyed the separation, you know, and and I'm just like I don't know mm. if I want to take that next step. I don't know if this is a if this is a real. I mean, I'm hard to. Mm. I don't make new friends really anyway, even in real life, like person to person. I'm a pretty hard nut to crack, and so the idea of them like having to get over the hump. Like I think if you do invite someone onto a podcast or something, it's a good. That's still like another distance away like especially now that we're doing it via zoom like even before zoom we we're doing it in person it was still a bit of a risk to get in the room with that person but now fuck yeah i'll just like hit someone up and say hey would you like to do my show and we can just do it like this and it's absolutely fine but i'm like i don't know man like i just don't i i feel like you know dating apps didn't exist when i was single and i want and it's the same thing of if suddenly i was single and i wanted to meet someone again would i use a dating app because i just my brain isn't wired to connect those two worlds. And I have met people in real life that have only known online and been kind of like underwhelmed <laughs> by their real personalities. I'm like, oh, I really like the way you write. <laughs> or I really like the things you post, but you as yeah. a person, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to be friends. Well, I'm not a big poster. Like I was obviously early in the days of social media. Like I used to use it a lot, but I haven't used it in an active way really for. You're a big retweeter. Yeah. Like, you know, but I really, it takes a lot for me to actually, you know, contribute something to the, the conversation because so often I just, particularly in the last couple of years, you know, you've seen people have complete meltdowns and just like the, you know, the, 
the debate engagement online is yeah. just at such ferocious levels on all sides that it doesn't feel like a healthy place. And the few times when I've like, you, you know, you, you, be, you, you get caught at that moment where you, you bite back or you respond to something. There is not one of those that I've walked away from. <laughs> my, and gone, well, that was a good use of my time. My I feel heaps better that I engaged in that. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I I often get that rush of blood, but I'm, I've been very disciplined in, in not responding and have been provoked several times, <laughs> especially like even in jest as a St. Gilda supporter, there's some people who are like trying to pick a fight with me right now. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, I just, I'm not going to win that. I'm just not going to win it. And it, I don't, at the moment, I sort of went off social media last year or, you know, during COVID, I was like, I just, it's too much. And I think I've reintroduced it at a, at a healthy level now, which is the bulk of my tweeting is around TOEFOP, two guys, one cup, whatever. And some occasional just like, you know, dead time browsing. But I used to get sucked into threads of arguments that had nothing to do with me, like two celebrities are fighting or there's some fucking issue. And I'd go down a rabbit hole of this exchange. And like, there was even some guy who I was following because he did a funny tweet like five years ago and I'd been following him and yeah, it's kind of funny. He's just like a normal dude, not a like a comedian or anything like that. But then he started going on this like like anti-Dan Illich rant. Like he just, I don't know, Dan just like rubs in the wrong way. After the billboard thing, he was just like, fuck this guy and, you know, what a useless waste of your time. And I'm just like, and I was really tempted to be like, what the fuck are you doing with your time? Like, who are you? To and then I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my time? I don't even, like, like you say, I have created this world. I am following this guy. And so if his responses to Dan Illick for whatever reason are pissing me off, then that's my fault. And so I did. I just unfollowed him. And it's been so much better. Now I don't have to follow, like, follow any of that shit anymore. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. And what you've like done there is going, I do not need to insert myself into something that like, Dan Dan makes provocative work. So Dan understands that part of that is that people are going to debate the merits of what it is you do. And in fact, I would argue that Dan probably more than anybody in the Australian media landscape operates very much in the window of trying to start conversations. Yeah. Like, you know, do provocative things to try to start conversations. Like you don't go to Dan for all the answers. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, what what's this plan that you're going he's the person who's trying to agitate to make sure that people are at least paying Talking attention to the topics and, yeah. and doing it in a fun and funny way. And I think there's great merit in that. If there are other people who want to argue that that's self-serving or doesn't do enough or any of these sort of things, then I think Dan knows that's part of the debate that he's almost, the reason that other people don't do that is they they know that when you do something like that, it comes with those mm. criticisms that, you know, it's all about you or it's like, you know, it's really about you getting a Tonight Show rather than you caring about the issues or any of those sort of things. Dan has the courage to know that those criticisms were going to come and be like, I'm going to do it anyway, even though I will get these sort of criticisms, which I greatly admire. But he doesn't need you or I to defend him and weigh in on that. Like no. he is absolutely fine without us you know, getting involved in that debate. And it's also that thing too of, you know, that classic sort of um, Twitter trope where it's like you could say the most beautiful uh, innocuous statement about, you know, I saw my child laugh for the first time today. It made me so happy. And then someone would be like, fuck you. Some people can't have children. Some people don't have the power of speech yeah. to delete this right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people can't laugh. Exactly. <laughs> What do you think about the people who can't laugh? Uh, you mean listeners to TOEFOP? <laughs> Is that what you're describing? <laughs> no, they won't laugh, not can't laugh.
Uh, let's get to the mailbag before we say goodbye. Actually, before we get to the mailbag, let's uh, let people know about our Patreon, patreon.com slash TOEFOP. Still the best way to support our show. Um, we had our sponsors' um, st- revenue statement come in for the last three months. Fair to say it was very scant. <laughs> in fact, I was like, hang on, is this for... Is this for the last three months or for one episode? Because this is not a lot. So the best way to support our show is still through Patreon. And so we do our best to put a lot of bonus content up there. Uh, We just put a a, a brand new bonus episode up uh, a few days ago. So we'll do those every fortnightly um, when possible. And we do full videos of the show. So if you want to sit with us for the full hour of TOEFOP, you can do that at patreon.com. Plus, we've got all our exclusive James Fosdyke um, artwork there. We've got Everyone Relax. We've got Quantum Cop, a bunch of behind-the-scenes photos some really good stuff you could spend hours going through the patreon for some bonus tofop content and if you want to sign up at the top tier there's a prize we offer a uh, an autographed tour poster from one of our melbourne comedy festival shows signed by will and i authenticated i mean i don't know how we could prove the authentication but just trust us we were there we signed them and so if you sign up at the 20 level even if it's only for a month you just want to support us by giving us 20 dollars one month and then switch down to a lower amount we're totally fine with that we'll send you a poster um, and then if you send us a message via patreon that we read out on our bonus episode you could also get a fridge magnet so will why wouldn't you support our patreon i mean why wouldn't you and please do because we have no other sponsors <laughs> <laughs> we have no others it was really shocking it was really yeah. really shocking uh okay let's get to this mail actually before we do that why don't you promote your show as well well i'll bring up the mail back oh yeah okay so we logical is the name of my touring show so i've got a week to go in melbourne so i'd love you to come out and see the show i'm actually super proud of it it feels very much like a show now and it's got the tone and vibe of what i was going for so um i've done enough shows now that it it feels a bit more natural and fun so Please come and see that. And then on the final night of the festival, I do What You Talking About, Will, my improvised stand-up show. Then uh, the first weekend of uh, May, I am at the Enmore doing Logical, and then on the Sunday night doing What You Talking About, Will. And then at the election weekend, I will be in Brisbane. So two nights of Logical, and then uh, one of the nights of Logical right. is on election night. So <laughs> that, might, that might be a fun night to come and share whatever happens. <laughs> in that room on the uh, Saturday night. And then on the Sunday, I will be doing my improvised show, What You're Talking About, Will. In fact, I'm doing two of them in a row, two different shows. And uh, um, I imagine that I'll probably talk about what happened in the election. Also, uh, you can listen to our AFL podcast or AFL Jason podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, which is on the listener app. In fact, if you want to support this show in a way that is not financial, that only requires you to sign up to a, to an app, that would be the best way to do it because obviously uh, listener, they have advertising. So the more listeners we get on the show, the better it is for us. And that means we can continue to get paid, which means we can continue to do the show. So it all feeds back to us. Yeah. Technically, even if you don't listen to the AFL show, but you want to contribute to TOEFOP without oh, no, the- they have to do it. There is a very complex <laughs> algorithm. Like even if you don't have to listen to it, but just go to two guys one cup. Hit- no, that's what oh, I yeah, was about yeah. to say. Like, so every week, Rather than donating money, if you could just go to the listener app, push play on the episode, you can leave your phone <laughs> yeah, in the other room. Right. You don't have to listen to it all. You can turn it right down, just play it the whole way through. And that's good for us. That's yeah, fine. That, that makes yeah. us, that, that, that the, the algorithm will, will tell our bosses that we're doing yeah. a good job. So that's the best way to support us if you can't do it financially. All right. <laughs> we, we've had a huge spike in people <laughs> playing the show under a pillow in their bedrooms. <laughs> Uh, we're running out of time, so let's just do one letter. This is from Roy. Yep. Uh, short time listener, first time caller. 
You can read as much of my name as you want. Just bear in mind that if you Google it, I am not the Sheriff of Nottingham. Okay. Well, do you know what the Sheriff of Nottingham's oh, real okay. name is? I didn't know this. Do you want to, mm. um, Roy. Yes. And his surname? <laughs> well, you're just Googling it now, are you, cheat? No, no, Roy Nottingham. <laughs> no, uh, Greensmith. I did not know the Sheriff of Nottingham had a name, but there you go. He's Roy Greensmith. I've been listening since my wife told me to listen to an episode where our daughter mm -hmm. is mentioned. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that episode lacked any advice on how to listen to the podcast, and so I did my usual of starting from episode one and listening through the whole thing. That was some time during the pandemic, and I've just caught up to present day, so I thought I'd contact you about a major development while I wait for the next episode. How excited are you guys for the new Hey Hey It's Saturday special, which I assume will have aired by the time you get to this mail? Love the pod. Been a long-time fan of Will's work, although Charlie is my favorite, as he reminds me of my best mate, Roy. Uh, thanks, mate. Um, I had no idea. Did you know there was another Hey Hey? It's on tonight. Special on coming? the day we're recording this, Sunday, oh, it is on tonight. So not too, not too bad for us getting oh, to this uh, you know, mail in real time. So Mail? Like, well, yeah, but by the time they listen to it, it'll be three days later. Yeah, but the joke is, because I think they did a 50 years of Hey Hey at Saturday. So I think this one is called... What what is this one called, Charlie? Uh, uh, fifty years. Or so. uh, hey, I don't know. The last one was fifty. The last one they did was fifty years of Hey Hey It's Saturday. What ones? What's when this? was fifty one years of Hey Hey It's Saturday? Yeah, no, it's a hundred years of Hey Hey It's Saturday. That's the joke. It's a hundred years of Hey Hey It's Saturday. I don't get it. <laughs> what is the what? Is it just because they've been around forever? That's the joke. I don't know what the joke is, yeah. but the joke is that it is now 100 years of hey, hey, it's Saturday. Is, is Daryl going to come out with like an old man wig on and like a walking stick? That's what it feels like they're leading towards. It's like, you know, Ozzy Ostrich will be oh, in like I can't, I can't imagine there'll be anything that well thought out. Ozzy won't be on it. Ozzy's dead, man. Well, that's even better. Can't have Ozzy on. <laughs> like, that makes more sense. I'll just cut to a tombstone. <laughs> And John Blackman can be like, oh, they can do the angel. The angel can be like, oh, I'm up in heaven and uh, Ozzy's up here. Molly's gay. <laughs> uh, no, mate, uh, Roy, the Sheriff of Nottingham, I will not be tuning in. I do not care. I like watching old Hey Hey at Saturday clips with Johnny Depp because I think that is interesting, but I have uh, no interest in watching 100-year-old Hey Hey It's Saturday. Will? I probably will watch it at some uh, stage. I think it's on at this I, – I did sneakily have a look at when it was on tonight, and I think if I come home straight after my show, I might relax post-show by catching the last half an hour of the Hey Hey It's Saturday special. I mean, off a side point, and this is more a two guys, one cup conversation, but um, Scott Dooley messaged me from New York. He just uh, arrived back in New York, and he's desperate to talk about the new Fox footy show after the game. Um, which I haven't watched yet, but it's uh, in that long tradition of sports comedy variety shows. Um, Scott really hasn't seen it, but he wants me to watch it because he just he he needs to to get the lowdown on it. And it did make me think of that time that you and I, after a game, came back to your place and we watched the bounce and we started off like making fun of it. But then by the end of it, we were like had general like genuine admiration for the uh, the, the dynamics between like the cast. It's like oh, I get it, yeah. Jason Dunstall's going to the straight man, and Danny Frawley's going to like the goofy one, and they put Andrew Gaze in a headlock and you know give him a wedgie and stuff like that. It's yeah, this and this and there to this. <laughs> right it's well cast it has yeah. a balance everybody knows their role it's kind of like the old footy version of a boy band you yeah. know they just like there's something that appeals to everybody 
It's comedy and bullying all wrapped up mm. in one package. <laughs> what's what's yeah. more entertaining than that? Uh, nothing. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Strong finish. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. Cool things for cool people.